0: One man spoke for many when he defined the book of Revelation as a famous book in which St. John concealed all that he knew. And as commentator Grant Osborne has written, people are both fascinated and confused about Revelation. And perhaps that's how you feel about the book. You are simultaneously fascinated and confused about the book and I would fault you if that was uh, your outlook. So I want to make you this promise as we start that I will do my best to help you understand that the book of Revelation is not meant to confuse us or to cover anything up. It is not meant to conceal any kind of truth from us. In fact, indeed, just the opposite is true. God has given us the book of Revelation to reveal truth, particularly as it pertains to the events of the church age that lead up to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there has always been tremendous interest in this book. Uh, I remember when I was just a wee lad, uh, the church that I grew up in, uh, they had a prophecy conference in which uh, the focus was uh, the book of Revelation and the secret rapture of the church. I can remember that just like it was yesterday. And the one thing that I remember is there used to be this painting go, going around and it was prevalent at this time of uh, the, 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 the rapture and you had uh, cars driving off embankments and going over the, the rails of the expressway and people's bodies going up, you know, and, and uh, all kinds of chaos ensuing on the earth. And I remember that, that, was, that was just something very, very popular uh, back then. If you want to sell a book, simply write a book about the end times and it's sure to fly off the store shelves. I remember when the Gulf War began, It wasn't very long before the shelves of Christian bookstores were filled with end times books declaring that the return of Jesus was imminent and the end of the world was near. The only problem is that was 1990 and here we are today. (laughs) Do you know one of the best selling book series of all time was the Left Behind books? There were 16 books in that series and unbelievably it sold 65 million copies worldwide. That's a lot of books. So there's a great interest in the book, but here's what I want to do for us this morning. I I want to establish right from the very beginning that God gave the book of Revelation to the church to reveal truth, to uncover truth. God gave the book of Revelation to the church to provide comfort and encouragement to the Bride of Christ as the church faces increasing hostility and persecution that ultimately culminates with the return of Christ. And when Christ returns He will execute a judgment and He will execute swift justice on His enemies. And the very opening verse of chapter 1 makes it clear that the purpose of the book is to reveal truth. God gave the book to help prepare the bride of Christ for the tribulation the church will endure until He returns. Now before we get too far into the text there's several things that I want to address. The first one is why should we study the book of Revelation at all? Why do we take the time to delve into What many people would say is just, it's all so confusing, there's really not much there for today, let's get on to something more practical. Well I will show you if I have any skill as an expositor at all, and that may be in question, but if I have any skill at all I will show you by the time we get through it that this is one of the most encouraging and comforting books in all of Scripture. So why do we say the book? Let me give you three reasons. First of all, because it's a part of Scripture. Right? It is a part of Scripture. It says it's, it's just as much a part of inspired Scripture as the Psalms, or the Gospels, or any of Paul's letters, or the major prophets, or the minor prophets. It is a part of God's Holy Writ. It's part of God's Holy Word. Second, we should study the book of Revelation because God promises to bless those who pay particular attention to this portion of His Word. And we'll look at that more a little bit later on. So therefore, to neglect the study of Revelation is to rob ourselves of God's blessings. As we work our way through the book, I think that you will happily discover its message to be one, again, of great comfort and encouragement. And thirdly, we should study the book of Revelation because the message of the book is always relevant to the church. When John wrote the book of Revelation, it was relevant to the church of his day. Now here we sit some 2,000 years later, and as we study the book of Revelation we will discover that the message of the book is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And if the Lord tarries His coming for another 1,000 years, the message of of the book will be just as relevant to that church in that time as it is today and as it was when John first wrote the book. The message of Revelation is always timely and is meaningful for God's people throughout the church age. Let me briefly define what I mean by the church age. And if if you have a, if your timeline's a little different than mine, that's okay. You'll come around to my way of thinking someday. Amen? Uh, Realistically, we, we could say that the church age started with the birth of Christ, when Christ came to the earth. But many would narrow it just a little bit and say, well, the church age actually started with the ascension of Christ back to heaven. And others would say, well, okay, but it really the church age started on the day of Pentecost. I'm not going to quibble with you if you choose any one of those uh, particular periods in history or start dates for the church age. The church age culminates with the return of Christ, with the second coming of Christ. And just think about how the book begins. It begins with the Lord Jesus sending a message to the seven churches. And in case you're wondering, those were seven local churches. They existed during the time that John wrote the book. And he was directed to send the letter to these seven local churches. And the message that Jesus had for the seven churches in the first century is just as relevant and applicable to us today as it was to those whom originally heard these words. Okay? So that's why we study it. Um, One of the major mistakes that many people make in their approach to Revelation is believing that the book only applies to the future and has nothing to say to the church today. Uh, Many people mistakenly believe that the message of Revelation only applies to the final years leading up to, re- to the return of Christ. Now, there's only one problem with that, Well, one that I'll highlight. How do you know when those years began? I mean, this book just kind of, if, if, that, if that was God's intention, then He's kind of left us in the dark. If it's only for some indeterminate time in the future that we don't know when it begins... But as we will see the message of Revelation is always timely, and again it's always meaningful for God's people throughout the ages. All right. so how should we study the book? Well the key to studying the book begins by understanding the nature of the book. In order to study the book we must first understand the type of book or the kind of literature that it is. So we ask ourselves what type of literature is Revelation? Well the type of literature, or if you want to sound smart you could say the genre, The genre of literature that describes Revelation is actually found right in the title of the book. Have you ever heard someone refer to the book of Revelation as the Apocalypse or the Apocalypse of John? You might say, well that's not the title of the book. That is the title of the book. Because that word Apocalypse in Greek is translated into English as Revelation. So the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Now the problem is when we think of the apocalypse today, we think of Francis Ford Coppola's movie, Apocalypse Now, or we think of some kind of major catastrophe. Right? An atomic bomb goes off or something like that, or that that catastrophe we call that the apocalypse. But that's not at all what the word means. So what does the word mean? The word very simply means this, the unveiling or the uncovering of something hidden. That's what an apocalypse is. For example, when a person is honored with a uh, statue or a sculpture, normally until that statue or that bust of that person is going to be revealed, what what do they do? Uh, They throw a cloth over it, right? And when it's time to reveal it, what do they do? They pull the cloth off of it. That's the picture of unveiling or uncovering, uh, and that is what is happening here in the book of Revelation. God is revealing truth to us. He's uncovering truth for us. And by the way, uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is not the only uh, book of apocalyptic literature in the Scriptures. For instance, Ezekiel and Daniel would fit into this mold. Okay. And we will see that John draws very heavily from both of those books. So the word apocalyptic describes a type or a kind of literature designed to reveal or uncover something that God wants us to know. Now you're going to hear me refer to Richard Phillips many times throughout this study and here's the first one. He writes these books employ vivid symbols including symbolic numbers to depict the spiritual reality unfolding behind the scenes of history. An apocalypse usually contains the message that God is going to burst into history in a dramatic and unexpected way despite all appearances that God's people are facing oppression and defeat. So we could think of apocalyptic literature, and I know I'm going to stumble over this a thousand times, so bear with me. We can think of this type of literature as sign language because that's exactly what it is. God communicates the meaning and the message of the book through the extensive use of signs and symbols. All right? Still with me? Please? Now we've got to deal with a a kind of sensitive subject here. And it has to do with how we are to interpret the book of revelation are and here's what i mean are we to interpret the book of revelation literally or symbolically now there's a cert, there are a certain segment of christians a certain part of the church if you will who with all of the right motives in a desire to uphold the integrity of scripture They would insist that all of Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 must be interpreted in a literal fashion. They would argue for a literal interpretation of the Bible. For instance, a literal interpretation of Scripture would be something like we read, back in the Old Testament, perhaps in Leviticus, about a bull that is offered as a sacrifice for an offering. So we read that bull, we immediately make the connection that it's what? It's it's an animal. It's a real, live animal. That would be a literal interpretation. And that would be the correct interpretation. And there are many places throughout Scripture where we have to interpret the text literally. But then we come to the book of Revelation where John, i just choose one example, he talks about a dragon. So if we attempt to interpret that literally, we're going to run into all kinds of problems and there will be a very good chance that we will miss the symbolic use of a dragon and the meaning it was meant to convey to us. Because if we read about this dragon and we have in our mind Pete the Dragon, uh, we're going to go far afield. We're going to mess things up, okay? But as I, 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 I... if you try and interpret the book of Revelation literally, you create massive confusion in trying to understand the book. And that is exactly what has happened particularly in the last 100 or 150 years or so. Again I will refer to Richard Phillips. He writes, It is true that John literally received the visions recorded in Revelation, but the visions consisted of symbols that must be interpreted not literally but rather symbolically. This is true of the fantastic imagery in Revelation, such as the dragon and his beast, and of symbolic numbers such as 10, 1000, and 666. When we are reading the Bible's historical books such as Samuel and Acts, we will normally take the plain, literal meaning unless there is compelling reason to interpret the passage otherwise. In studying Revelation, we should reverse this approach and interpret vision symbolically unless there is good reason to take the passage literally. This is not to say that the visions do not depict real events whether in John's time or in the future, but that the events are presented symbolically rather than literally in in Revelation. So here's a principle that I want you to keep in mind. When John wrote this book, you and I were not the original intended audience. And no, I said original intended audience. This book was written to the seven churches, to the Christians of that day and age, who, as we will see, were undergoing severe persecution. So therefore, John writes this book to them in order to comfort them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. So that means that the book had to have meaning for them. It had to be meaningful to the the original uh, readers of the book. If it didn't, Well, what comfort did that provide for them? This book was intent, one of the main purposes of this book was to give comfort and encouragement to those Christians who were being severely persecuted, not to say, hey, guys, look what's going to happen somewhere out there someday. Does that give them any comfort? Not at all. So keep this principle in mind. As we work our way through the book, it had to mean something to them. So what does that mean? Well, for instance, we go to Revelation chapter 9 and we see uh, John's fantastic descriptions of the uh, bottomless pit being opened up and out come these locusts. Now how many of you have heard the interpretation, well, these locusts, they are a reference to some kind of modern military machine. These are Black Hawk helicopters. These are Hueys, you know. These are coming out of the pit. You, 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 would that have made any sense at all to them? They would have been scratching their heads saying, what, 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 what are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> But how many times have you heard those kinds of interpretations about the book of Revelation? You know, I, I, when I was in Bible college, we had a, he was a godly man, he was a good man. And he had studied the books of Daniel and Revelation for 38 years. And he had charts and murals and he'd even written a book about it, you know. And I sat there just scratching my head thinking, I, I, it's finally, it, it, I'm done wearing a box of rocks, I don't get it at all. And none of this makes sense to me. Well you know what? Because it was the wrong interpretation. It it, it wasn't true to the text. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they do these, they interpret these things intentionally to lead people astray. It's just that they have missed a very basic point that it had to mean something to those to whom John originally sent the letter to. So therefore, if you pick up a book on the end times, or you pick up a commentary on the book of Revelation, and he's talking about Hueys and, uh, you know, uh, 200 million Chinese soldiers and all these kinds of things, take all that with a grain of salt, okay? Okay, that's that's all I'm saying, all right. Uh, So keep this principle in mind again. Revelation deals with events that would take place in the future but much of what John refers to were contemporary events that were being experienced by the churches to which John wrote. Okay? That means the dragon and the beast that we read about in Revelation, they were active, they were real at that time. And guess what? What? the same dragon, the same beast are just as real and just as active today and will continue to be until the Lord comes back. Alright? So if we can kind of fix that in our minds that will be helpful to us. Okay, now let's one other thing. Let's look at the structure of the book. Just as we are not to interpret the book literally, we must not make the mistake of trying to interpret the book in a linear fashion. Here's what I mean. If we were to draw a timeline, a lot of people, a lot of prophecy guys like to draw timelines, you know? I think they have stock in a timeline company or whatever. But They, 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 they make their timeline and, and they put their push pins or whatever in at this, this particular spot, and this particular spot, and this particular spot. Well if we try and do that with the book of Revelation we are going to go far astray. As we read the book, we need to understand that the unfolding of the events such as the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowl judgments, we need to understand they do not happen one after the other. In other words, we have to finish all the, the seven uh, seals before we can go on to the seven trumpets, and we've got to finish all the seven trumpets before we go on to the bowls. That is not how Revelation works, all right? The, the events in Revelation do not happen consecutively, but rather concurrently. Alright? So if they don't unfold in a linear fashion, then how do they unfold? Well, they unfold in a parallel fashion. So maybe this will help, help us understand what I mean here. Uh, Picture an expressway, an interstate or freeway, or however you you refer to that big slab of uh, asphalt out there. Uh, What do we have? We have multiple lanes, and what are they doing? They're all parallel to one another, correct? For instance, if you would take a left out of the church parking lot, take a right up here at the stop sign, go out to, towards Walmart and take another right and then take another right and you'd hop on I-75. And you would head north. And if you continued to head north, you would arrive at the promised land of Skyline Chili and La Rosa's Pizza. (laughs) Amen. You would if you stayed on I-75 going north, you would eventually arrive in Cincinnati. Correct? And every car that's headed that way is going in the same direction and could be going to the same destination. Now this is where the analogy breaks down. So the events in the book of Revelation, they are parallel events. So, we don't have to wait necessarily for all the seals to be broken before the trumpets begin or the bold judgments begin. They run in parallel fashion. And as we will see as we go through the book, there are cycles, and there are cycles of increasing intensity that go along with the judgments. Again, Richard Phillips, Revelation is organized into seven parallel sections, seven being the number of completion. Each section highlights a portion of the story as the drama advances to a final climax. Now here's one of the most important things to help us understand the book. Listen carefully to this. This drama involves a sequence that was going to happen in John's time that reoccurs throughout the church age and will take concentrated form in the final days before Christ's return." In other words, these things run parallel, and they run in cycles, and as we get closer to the return of Christ, these things are going to ramp up if I can put it that way. They are going to intensify the closer we get to the return of Christ. And as we work our way through the book, we'll see these cycles come out very clearly. So keep those principles in mind as we study the book. Now, very briefly, I promise, very briefly, let's get to the text, verses 1 through 3. Let's read them again the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testament of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Very briefly let me give you three R's that we can pull out of these verses. Number one is the revelation itself. Number two would be the recipients of the letter. And number three would be the promised reward or the rewards that God promises to those who pay attention to the book. So the opening words of the book are precious words to God's people. Now I realize this is not the first time that God has revealed Himself to His people but there is a sense that this is a special revelation of God to His people, to us, to let us know that during our experience of persecution and suffering that He is still ruling and reigning, and nothing that happens to us escapes His knowledge or is out of His control. All of the events described in the book that negatively impact the church are under the direct control and the restraint of God. The persecution that we will read about In the book of Revelation, it is real. It is terrible. It is horrible. It is fierce. But it would be much worse if God were not restraining all of that. God is actively, we'll see this throughout the book, God is actively restraining Satan and his demonic hordes as well as the unbelievers and their attacks against God's people. So I emphasize this. Revelation is for believers. This book was written for God's people. Certainly there are warnings in the book to unbelievers. In fact, there's multiple warnings throughout the book warning unbelievers to flee the wrath to come. But the primary message of the book is for the people of God again God gave this book to His people who were facing oppression and severe persecution as we will see many had lost their employment because they would not say Caesar is Lord therefore they couldn't work they lost their livelihood many of God's people were facing martyrdom and in the coming years many of them would die for their faith in Christ in fact Jesus in His message to the church of Pergamum makes mention of a man named Antipas. And this is what Jesus said, He describes him as my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He was a martyr because of his faith in Christ. So as I pointed out earlier, Revelation is an unveiling of events. Let's take that one step further. It is an unveiling or an uncovering of the unseen <laughs> realm. Leonard, Leonard Skinner's debut album had a song called Things Going On. If you've never heard it, really, it's really a very good song. It is Victoria. It's a really good song. It's a song with a political bent, no doubt about that, and it's directed at the politicians in Washington, D.C., And one of the lines of the song is, I think it's either the first or second verse. This is the last line, because there's things going on that you don't know. And what we have here in Revelation, God says, God's revealing things that we don't know that's going on. It's like God pulls back the curtain of history, and we get to peer behind the history, and all of a sudden the things that are taking place in this world, they begin to make sense. We begin to understand why this world is operating as it is. Dennis Johnson writes in his commentary, On the plane of visible history, things are not what they appear. So Revelation symbols make things appear as they are. God communicates to us in symbols to help us understand why things are happening in this world the way they are happening. Okay? God wants... His people to understand that there is a very real war raging behind the scenes. It is because of this unseen war that by Satan and his demonic horde that God's people face persecution and death. God wants us again, wants us to understand why this world operates the way it currently does. God wants His people to understand that, hey, you are not the victims of Some impersonal force called fate, nor are you the victims of human prejudice. God wants His people to understand that the things, that the way things are now are not the way that things are always going to be. You know, we live in a world where frankly much of what is happening, it simply cannot be explained logically. Up is down and down is up. Some would have us to believe that there are no genders, that the lines of identity are all denied. They're, they're, they're fungible, even though they are biological, undisputable facts. How many times do we see decisions made without any factual basis or logical input? There's a world turned upside down and many people, they don't see what is happening or why it's happening. But a careful study of revelation will give God's people an understanding of why the world IS IN A DEATH SPIRAL FROM WHICH IT WILL NOT RECOVER. YOU CAN SAVE ALL THE TREES THAT YOU WANT, AND I'M ALL FOR GOOD STEWARDSHIP, BUT ONE DAY THEY'RE GOING TO BURN. THEY'RE GOING TO BURN. WHY? THIS WORLD HAS BEEN CORRUPTED. GOD'S GOOD CREATION HAS BEEN CORRUPTED, AND HE IS GOING TO RENEW IT SOMEDAY. Well, I'll return to this point next week. And let's move on to the recipients. Who are the recipients of God's book? Well God gave the revelation to here, here's, if you want to know the process of inspiration, here we go. God gives the message to Jesus Christ, who in turn gives it to an angel, who in turn gives it to John, and John is to write down all that he saw. And then he was to make it known to God's servants. So the recipients of the book that I'm driving at here are God's servants, those who obey God. They are God's people. They are God's children. And in writing to them, God wanted His people to know that He was neither indifferent, nor was He going to be silent as to their plight and their persecution. So he communicates to them the reality behind the event, and he continually points them to the final future victory of Jesus Christ. Ben asked me a week or so ago, he said, what are you going to title this this uh, series? I don't give much thought to much, and I didn't give much thought to the, what I was going to call it. And You know, the easy one would be, well, uh, Jesus wins, or more than conquerors, or you know, something like that, or, you know, like the old Southern Gospel song, I read the back of the book and we win, you know, and that's kind of lengthy and doesn't really roll off the tongue. But you know what I decided to name this, uh, this series? The Promises of Jesus. Because that's what this book is filled with. It's promise after promise after promise that Jesus is making to His people. So this is The Promises of Jesus. God's desire is to strengthen the resolve of His people as they face persecution. He wants to encourage them and to assure them that what we are about to suffer would not be in vain. God wants to show us that despite all of what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears, that, that, that despite all the evidence to the contrary, that He is in control. And things are working out exactly according to His plan. God wants His people to understand that He is controlling everything in both the seen as well as the unseen realm. I'll just just leave this point with this thought. God does not want His people to be in the dark. And if you're in the dark about the future it's because you haven't taken a good look at the book of Revelation. Amen? And if you take a good look at the book of Revelation, yes, listen, there are tough times ahead for the church. How soon all that starts, I don't know. I'm not in the business of making predictions. But there are tough times ahead for the church. But God wants us to know, look, I'm still in control. I'm still in charge. Nothing escapes my knowledge. And you will be rewarded one day. That brings us to point three, the rewards... So John's opening words here, they conclude with a promise of reward, a promise of blessing to those who read aloud the book, to those who hear what is read aloud, to those who hear the book, and then thirdly to those who obey the book. So first God said that those who read aloud the words of this prophecy will be blessed. Now what John has in mind here is a public reading of Scripture. then the time which John wrote, uh, there were designated church readers. And I was, I'm so glad that Ben, uh, we're going to read through the book of Revelation. Take it chapter by chapter. And in the early church, it was the, the responsibility of the designated church reader to read scripture publicly and to put some thought into it and some emotion into it. You know, uh, not boring people with the Word of God. It was their responsibility to read the Scriptures to those who were gathered. And Think about this. You know, we preachers, we get up here and we bang away, get in your Bible, get in your Bible, get in your Bibles, help you to grow, help you to grow, help you to grow, and all that's true. Well, guess what? These folks, they didn't have a Bible. So therefore, and do we all agree that the Scriptures are a means of growth for us as believers? Absolutely. So guess what? When they came once a week, uh, they didn't want some guy who was disinterested in the Word of God, who was going to bore them with the Word of God, who would mumble and stumble around with a mouthful of marbles reading the Word of God. They wanted and needed to hear, thus saith the Lord. Because it was the means of growth for them. And how many churches do you go to today where Scripture is almost an afterthought? They don't, they don't read it publicly, and the pastor's afraid to read more than a phrase or so, thinking that he's going to lose everybody. No. God says, listen, I will bless you. I will bless the one who reads the Scriptures aloud. Well, keep in The second thing here is God promises a blessing to those who hear the book as it is read aloud. But I want you to know this. God does not have in mind some passive listening, some mindless listening. You know, it's the beginning of the year, and I see this uh, pray.com or this pray app or whatever. I fall asleep to James Earl Jones reading you the whatever, and Drew Brees is out there reading you about the birth of Jesus, and I'm all for I'm all for getting the scripture into you, but I don't think God gave us the scriptures as a scripture that means to put you to sleep. No. He said, here's the blessing. Is the blessing is for those who actively engage with the Word of God and listen to the Word of God. That's when the blessing comes. Then thirdly, he says there's a blessing for those who do what? Keep it. Obey it. Now listen. All of this has to do with real action. The guy that reads it. Does so with some heart and some energy and some passion, wanting to make he's prayed over, he's wanting to make sure that people get it, that they understand it. Then the person is sitting there listening, they're actively engaged, their minds are engaged, their hearts are engaged, and they're thinking there, how can I apply this? How can I obey this in my own life? Then they go out and they do what? They obey the scriptures. They've already thought about it when they heard it so they go out and they obey it. They don't go out and say, well let me think about it some more. No! Obey it. And that brings the blessing. It's all active. You can't read the Word of God unless you do it actively. God wants you to listen to His Word with the mindset of application and obedience. You can't obey or keep the Word of God unless you're actively engaged with it and are actively putting it into practice. So the study of Revelation brings blessing, not confusion. The study of Revelation brings comfort, not discouragement. The study of Revelation brings encouragement, not despair. And the study of Revelation brings confidence and courage, not fear. So what do we do about this today? You know a lot of was like sitting in some kind of boring lecture, okay forgive me for that part, But here's what you got to do. Make a commitment to read it, to hear it, and to obey it. And God promises to bless you if you will.